Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations, metrics, and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm very excited today to have a guest on the show that actually lives in the same city as me. Now, unfortunately, we're not sitting in the same room because we're both very busy people, but it's still cool to know that I have a new friend here in town that I can nerd out about process with. Uh, she is the founder of Visualize Consulting. She's a speaker and facilitator and consultant that helps organizations optimize their process and reach operational excellence and manage the change that comes with that. She has been working in process improvement and change management in the public and private sector for over 15 years. So she has a ton of experience and has seen a lot of things. I tell you, she knows what she is talking about when it comes to this stuff. She also has a process mastery certification from the Hammer and Co. program in Boston and is a Lean Six Sigma black belt. And she's here today to help us understand how to build better processes. So I'm super excited with all that. Jennifer Kickert, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. And one thing that I left out of your bio that I should probably mention is that you have run six half marathons, two marathons, and three half Ironmans. Very impressive. It shows me that you have the wherewithal to deal with the what is often a very long and arduous process, which is making changes in process happen inside of big organizations. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> There's a link there. <laughs> so I'm excited to have you on the show. Like I said, it's funny, we connected not that long ago. Um, you reached out and I found out that you're here in Moncton. Now, the ironic thing is that we're, we're both doing this from our home offices um, over video, which uh, I think is just the nature of how busy the two of us are and how much how much we have in our, in our calendar. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting to me that everywhere I go, I meet people that are doing this kind of thing. It's obviously a big problem for lots of different companies and different sectors. You spend a lot of time in the private sector, and then you've also done some work now in the, in the public sector as well. Or sorry, the public and private sector. Um, and I'm always intrigued as to how people kind of got into this space in the first place. So um, I'm sure your story is just as interesting as the other ones. So why don't you share with the audience at home a little bit more about what you do and how you found yourself in this space of process optimization and operations? Uh, sure. I don't know how interesting it is, but, um, and it's funny, I, did, I was doing a training actually in uh, British Columbia in December, and I was mentioning something about insurance. And I, I was saying, well, in a past life, I was a claims adjuster in insurance. And then I said something about IT. And I said, well, in a past life, I was actually a, uh, I wrote code um, for a company. And they're like, how many? careers have you have. So it's kind of a weird, uh, it's not a normal progression into a, into a career for sure. Um, but I, I did start uh, way back in insurance and then I got into uh, IT work and I was a programmer for a number of years. Uh, and I, I wrote code for a healthcare software company in Vermont. Um, and then my husband and I had children, we moved back home. And so we applied at the Moncton Hospital. Uh, my husband's in IT as well. Um, 
because that just made sense at the time and they had some openings. So we both started working uh, at the Moncton Hospital in about 2003. And for years, uh, I worked as a business analyst um, doing a bunch of IT work. Uh, and then the Moncton Hospital decided it wanted to buy a piece of software for the emergency department. So they asked if I could go and map out the process of how the people were doing the work they were doing manually so that we we knew how they were doing it manually. So when we implemented the software, we knew exactly what was happening before we tried to automate it. Um, because if you try to automate any process without really understanding the process, it, you're going to have a lot of issues. So I did that and spent a lot of time doing that only to not buy the software. Uh, they changed their mind. But then all of a sudden we had all of these process maps of how everyone did their, their work. And it was really interesting because then once they could see them, they started to identify where there was rework happening and duplication of effort. And people would say, well, I didn't know you were doing that. I'm, we're doing that over here. Why, why are we doing that twice? So the maps were really great visually to help people streamline what they were doing and eliminate unnecessary you know, effort. Uh, and they were great for training as well. Uh, so after that happened, other departments started to ask if they could have their processes mapped. And then fast forward about five or six years, I ended up being the regional lead for process improvement for Horizon Health Network in New Brunswick. And we had a team of uh, eight or nine doing process improvement work. Amazing. So fast forward then a few years, you spent some time obviously working in the health sector and then you kind of branched off. You started doing some more stuff in the private sector and eventually you came to found your own company and become uh, a consultant and go off on your own. What, what was the moment when you kind of realized that this was a problem that more businesses were struggling with and that there was an opportunity for you to go out and, and impact more businesses working on your own? Uh, well, when I, I came across a number of people when I was working in government, um, the last few years that I worked in healthcare, I also worked with uh, the um, executive council office for the premier. So we, um, I worked with a group of people who were implementing uh, performance excellence and improvement work in all departments of government. And they had hired some external consultants to come in that did this with um, private companies. And so I knew there was people uh, out there that did this kind of, I started research, researching it and saw that people did this full time and that there was uh, certifications and things you could do. And, um, but it was right around that time. And then I started kind of talking to family members and friends that had their, you know, their own businesses. And I would ask them questions around their processes. And what I learned really quickly was that people know their tasks and they know what they have to get done every day and they know what their responsibilities are, but very few of them saw their work as part of a larger process. And so they didn't see how what they did often would affect those up and downstream. And so having conversations with them, like they would say, I, you know, I'm interested, but I don't know what you mean by process. And so all work is a process of some sort. So when you can get people to see it in that way, then they can start to see the inefficiencies that they otherwise weren't seeing before which is actually why I ended up calling my company Visualize. I love it. And one of the things that you like to say is that you're passionate about helping organizations see the opportunities for improvement that often go unnoticed. So to dig into that, what are some of the things that, and specifically talking about service businesses, because I know you've done some work with service businesses, with agencies. Um, what are some of the things that you've noticed there often missing out on like in terms of an opportunity there's often processes that obviously they're not doing correctly or areas where they're being very inefficient what are some of the patterns that you've noticed in that industry the, well there's a number of them some of the biggest hitters um in any industry if you if you narrow it down there's kind of knowledge and 
industries, service industries, manufacturing industries, uh, those three. But in almost any case, uh, the big, one of the biggest wastes of time uh, that I've seen at every organization I've worked with has been um, we are plagued by inefficient meetings. And actually, Harvard Business Review talks about the fact that in the last 10 years, our meetings have gone up 65%. And that is a huge number for, you know, us to be spending 65% more time sitting in meetings. And, and so it's like we, have, we don't have efficient meetings at all. We, we talk about a lot of things with no action. Uh, we don't have agendas. We don't start them on time. We don't end them on time. We, um, we're on our phones in the middle of meetings, so we're not really present. And then so, you know, they take longer than they should. There's all kinds of reasons why that happens. So meetings are a big one. Uh, emails and texts are a huge problem uh, in any industry, especially service industries. And um, the last I read, it was the majority of uh, workers check their email 77 times a day and can wow. spend up to two and a half hours just reading and sorting through their email, which actually does not add any value to doing any kind of work for a client generally. So there's a lot of that that goes on. And those are the types of things that people see as important and part of the job I have to do it. Um, but there's way more efficient ways of dealing with, with meetings and emails and that sort of thing to, so that we can have more time to spend doing what our customers want us doing, what they value, um, or just having more time in life and not having to be working as much. And another one is um, the functional silos. Because generally, most organizations evolve to be what they are over time. They're not designed specifically unless you're starting uh, from the beginning and you're very specific about it. And so because we have vertical silos, all of our deadlines and priorities are vertical, but the work generally flows horizontally. And when we don't see it that way, um, there's a lot of duplication and rework and miscommunication and a lot of errors and a huge amount of wasted time and effort that happens. Mm. Those are three very insightful things. I mean, all three of them too, the common thread seems to be communication, right? It's the, it, meetings are clearly not being done in a way that's efficient to communicate what needs to be communicated. Uh, email and text. Um, obviously we've known that that's been a problem for a while and you're seeing things starting to try and disrupt that things like Slack um, and Microsoft teams, you know, trying to, to tackle more efficient ways of asynchronous communication, but there's still a lot of work to be done there, of course. Uh, and then finally, with the functional silos, a lot of the stuff that you just talked about is, you know, how do we efficiently communicate requirements so that one person can take the handoff and actually go ahead with the work that they're doing? Very interesting thing. So I want to dig into a couple of these things, because I'm sure there's some folks at home thinking, yeah, all three of those things are true about my agency. And I'm sure if we ran the numbers, you know, if you could cut your meetings back by 65%, if you could get your team off their email for an hour or two a day, think about the amount of billable hours that adds to your capacity. It's pretty significant. Um, yeah. So let's talk about meetings. What are some of the hot principles that agency owners and leaders should be thinking about when it comes to running better meetings and being more efficient with the way that they ask their team for that time? Well, what it, I mean, to go to the extreme, one of the things I love to do when, when people are trying to figure out how to make their meetings more efficient is I will say to them, okay, what if you had to run your meeting like the NBA or the NFL uh, in a 60-second timeout? What if you only have 60 seconds to get your point across, to have everyone discuss the issue, to ha come up with a solution, have everyone to know exactly what they need to do, and then go back to work? Would you be able to do it? And of course, very few can. Um, because we love to talk and, and, you know, we love to talk and talk and talk and, and some like to talk more than they like to do. Um, but some of the biggest issues are don't have a meeting unless you have an agenda. A lot of it is simple, you know, 
business 101 stuff that we all know and we all learn, we just don't do it. Um, and so, you know, Bill Gates, I think, was quoted as saying, you know, you, we have a meeting to make a decision, not to decide on the question. And so we, we shouldn't be meeting all the time to discuss. We shouldn't be having update meetings. That's another thing that's going by the wayside. Um, I think it was Elon Musk a couple months ago said no more update meetings. You know, everyone can update in a, in a quick memo or something. We don't need to sit for two hours and have everyone go around the room. It's not a good use of people's time. Um, because time is our number one resource right now. And it's, it's the most important thing to our customers. It's the most important thing to our employees. And it's the most important thing to us. And so we really got to figure out a way to, to um, you know, be as efficient with that time as we have. I like having the no phones in meetings rule. Uh, if you're having a, a meeting, you just say no phones allowed. And if you want to have a much quicker meeting, don't let people bring their phones because they'll be itching within 10, 15 minutes to get back to see, you know, did that person get back to me? What, you know, is there any taxes there? Uh, we're sadly all addicted to the phones. And so um, if you're not allowed to have them, you'll pay attention and you'll, you'll get down to business a lot quicker. So go ahead. You know, it's interesting um, as you're talking about this, I'm seeing a lot of things that I've learned from running a remote company in the last couple of years and how the addition resistance to booking a meeting actually causes us to be a lot more disciplined about the way we communicate and then also a lot more disciplined about the way we run our meetings because of course we can't just roll our chair down to Jimmy's office if we forgot to mention something in the meeting and update him on that it's a lot more involved than that and so it, it speaks volumes to how we've had to become as an organization conscious about our discipline and about how good we are communicating, how good we are writing emails, how good we are taking notes, how good we are about documenting requirements for things and decisions and so on. And it feels like this increase in meetings is correlated with people perhaps not having the level of discipline or the level of process around communication that's necessary. And so it becomes a crutch. Well, let's just have a meeting about it because we're not really sure what the requirements were. And we didn't really define this well up front. And we're not really sure how to update everyone via email because we don't really know what we're trying to tell them or what they need to know. Um, so that's an interesting thing there is the meeting could be a side effect of a larger problem, which we just don't have really good um, process around how we communicate in an organization. Yeah. And, and the other thing about, you're absolutely right. And communication has, has declined quite a bit in the last couple decades. Information sharing has increased. We information share all over the place. We want to share everything with everyone. We CC everybody on everything, which goes to the email issue. And then we have to, it's not, you know, a value. We don't need it. You don't need over half of the emails you probably get, but you have to sort through them to see what's important and what's not. But we like to, if we like to share information with everybody but the communication is not the same. It's, we're not communicating with people. And so a lot, of the, a lot of the miscommunication occurs with the email too, because we write these, you know, a five minute conversation would replace the 20 minutes it took to type the email. Well, it's 15 minutes you just saved in your day, but we don't love to talk to people anymore. We love to, you know, email and text and that sort of thing. So it is that the People that I know and friends and colleagues that I know that, that work in similar organizations, and my husband's one of them, they, they're all remote. They all work from uh, a different home office or somewhere, and they are very efficient with their, with their time and with their meetings, and they have um, huddles. Um, that's one, one thing that I like to implement with my clients is a, is a 10-minute huddle in the morning or a five- to seven-minute huddle in the morning. It doesn't have to be 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be half an hour. Just a quick one so everyone knows what's important today, what's going on, and so we don't have those 
you know, miscommunications throughout the day. If you, if you can run a really efficient huddle in the morning and then a check-in at the end of the day, it can eliminate the need for a lot of the other meetings that we have for sure. I love that. So the next item that I want to dig into a little bit more is, is more on this email time drain, right? The, the, pandemic of people spending two hours, two and a half hours a day drowning in their inbox. And I'm certainly guilty of this from time to time. What are some of the strategies that you've seen work well for trying to de decrease the amount of, of strain that people have on their email or, you know, inversely, if it's not, if that's not possible, increasing the amount of discipline or perhaps the amount of structure that there is around when and how intentional they are when they go to explore their email. Yeah, some, some of the best ways um, to deal with the email situation that I've seen over the last number of years, one is uh, turn off all notifications, all binging and dinging and vibrating and little pop-ups and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of people say to me, well, I'm multitasking. I'm great at multitasking. I, I'm the best multitasker. And, and I love it because it's like, well, you can't, that's not a thing. So you can't be a great multitasker and you can't be, all that means is that you're, you're not doing anything very efficiently because every time your mind, you know, if you're, if you're focused on something and you're trying to do that work and you see the little bang in the corner of your email and you just look for two seconds, that's already taking you off of what you were doing and your mind has to get back to where it was. All the research says, you know, every time you're interrupted, you can lose seven to, to 15 minutes of, to get back to where you were. So what we do is, uh, or what I do when I work with my clients is I recommend they, they turn off all notifications. They control when they see their email. The email does not control them because your email, you know what you need to get done today, what, what's priority and your emails, what other people want you doing really. Mm -hmm. And so they'll check it at specified times, so three times a day, maybe, you know, at, at 8.30 in the morning, 11.45 and then four o'clock before the end of the day, whatever it is. Um, another thing that I really like is, um, a couple of fellas that I met in last year, they have actually right in their email signature. Uh, I check my email once a day prior to 8am. If you email me today, you'll get, you'll get a response tomorrow. So do not expect a, an answer in the next half an hour or in the next two hours or so that at least sets the tone for everybody else that you're not going to hear from me today because I only check my email once a day. And so if it's really important, they'll call you. Yeah. And they'll get the answer they need. Otherwise, they'll wait until you do your email in the morning. And, and it's kind of brilliant. So it just, you know, we have, we've created an environment in a society where um, instant responses and instant answers to everything. And it, everything's instant. And it can't be. It makes no sense. And so the stress goes up in people's uh, inability to focus and get the work done. So with email, you have to control it. All the notifications off. You check it at, at specific times of the day. You can even input right in there that people aren't going to get an instant response back. Um, and if it's going to take you longer to write the email than have the conversation, call the person. Don't, we don't need all the, all the emails. Yeah. These are two things that I want to attest to because I've done both of them and they have made dramatic. I mean, I, I, there's no way that I could run my days the way that I do if I had notifications turned on and if I was checking my email willy nilly, like to your point, that ends up get anything done. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So uh, since I've done that, which is a year and a half ago now, dramatic shift in how productive I am, dramatic shift also in, you know, how effective I am when it is time, like how many, how fewer things fall through the cracks. Because when I sit down to answer my email, I'm there to sit down and answer my email. I'm not reading something saying, oh, I don't have time to deal with this right now. And then forgetting about it and coming back to it later. And I thought there was going to be a bigger backlash, but 
you know, when you communicate kind of the service level agreement or your intention with this stuff, that's a big part of it. And I think that's one of the fears that a lot of people have around this kind of thing. It's like, they don't want to disappoint people or miss expectations. But if you set expectations, then you won't be missing any expectations. So within your organization, have an SLA around communication. Let people know in this channel, we expect a response within 12, 24, 48 hours. Like what is an acceptable response time? What is the escalation process if something is important? Defining these things so that people don't feel obligated to be at the, uh, the, be at the mercy of all of these different communication channels that are fighting for attention at all times. Oh, absolutely. And the other one that I really like is um, I have a couple of clients who were um, highly stressed and overwhelmed with too much to do and trying to figure out how to be more productive, efficient, all the things, and came to find out that both of these people um, kept their phones in their bedrooms, which no one should do. Go buy the $15 alarm clock uh, anywhere. You don't need it, the phone in your room. Uh, but the alarm would go off and they would check uh, their email before their feet even Perfect. touch the floor. And so then they are either stressed out about something that they really can't do anything about until they get to work anyway. They've now ruined their entire morning. And so they're not in a good mood and not, you know, and, uh, in a great place or being present with their, with their spouse or their children or their family. And, and they're, they're already at work and they're not being paid to already be at work. Like you're, you're being paid to be at work when you get to work. So don't let that control your morning. Don't lose your morning uh, with your family and because you, you, you have that control. So the, the two of them are, are deciding, you know, what is the important thing that I have to get done today that is absolutely the most important thing? Uh, they know that for them, their most efficient time um, is in the morning. And so they're going to work. They're getting those three most important things done. And then they're checking their email. And, if, and the, the backlash is always, I always get the, well, it could be something really important. I have to check it. It could be really important. And my response to that is always, if it's really that important, it should not be in an email among right. 50 other emails in your email box. So we need to set some different parameters here with, with work people. And if something is that important, you give me a call. Or yeah. they'll be in your office by 835 to see, you know, I got to deal with the situation, which then you can deal with it. But totally. we can't, you know, it, 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 sets, it sets the day. So we have to be able to control the, the email and not let it control us for sure. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. And this is another, like that exact conversation is another thing that arose naturally out of the constraints of running a remote team. We, we ended up getting in situations where people were asking, you know, what is, what is the escalation process? What's the best channel to reach you if I have something urgent? And so have that conversation with your team. If you're listening and you're thinking, this all sounds good, but how do I do it? Just have a conversation with your yeah. team and decide, you know, what are the right channels? What is the process? It, it's that's of all the processes that you can write. This one's fairly straightforward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, well, oh, one of the uh, the last tips yeah. on the email too that works really well is um, it, a bunch of the, um, there's this fantastic book called uh, When 
The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing by author Dan Pink. And in it, he talks about how all the research shows that between two and four in the afternoon are the two most unproductive hours of the entire day, where our, our productivity is down, our mental alertness is gone. Our judgment is not good. And so we really shouldn't do important work between two and four in the afternoon if we have the choice. A lot of people don't have the choice and there's things you can do to, to mitigate that. But if you have the choice of when you do work, um, you shouldn't do important work between two and four in the afternoon. And so that is also an I- ideal time for people to sort through their email. If you have to, if you've got a bunch of email and you know it's coming in every day and you get so many and you have to root through it, then sort through it during that time. Uh, when it, you know, you can kind of mindlessly go through them all, delete the ones you don't need and decide when you're going to deal with the important ones. Yeah, absolutely. I can attest to that. I do have a lot of trouble if I have a specific deliverable to work on or, you know, it's boring work, spreadsheet work, finance, all that kind of stuff. I'm not very productive in the afternoon. So I book all my meetings and calls in the afternoon because that's something that I can, you know, it gives me energy rather than takes it from me. So um, that's how I've kind of used that. But it's funny how I did that unconsciously as part of my time planning, you know, I didn't know that this was like a scientific fact, Oh, it is. <laughs> but because, but because even something as simple, having a process to review, like what does my week look like and how can I optimize it? That was something that just kind of felt like the right thing to do. Um, yeah. and so now I can, now I can sleep even better research knowing that there's science. <laughs> yes, there's research backing well, my thinking on this. So many people waste important, their important, most productive focused time that they have the most, you know, uh, energy and, and their, the ability to do, if you align the work that you have to do with when you are most productive in the run of a day, you can get it done in half the time and it's better quality. I love it. Yeah. Um, and for those of you listening, the book that she mentioned by Daniel Pink, I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Just scroll down if you want to check that out and we'll link out to that book. So the last one I want to discuss, which I think is very interesting, is this issue of functional silos about, you know, the, the organization being structured vertically, but the reality of work being structured horizontally and how we reconcile that difference. What are some of the ways that people can um, think about tackling that challenge? Uh, the best thing that they can do is to get a group of people together that work in that horizontal process and have them sit in a room together and map the process out visually on the wall with brown paper and sticky notes and, and, and from start to finish from request for service to service delivered to the customer, because it crosses, it it doesn't matter if you're, you know, an insurance company and it's from sales to claim paid, or if it's, um, you know, an, an IT company from, we want, you know, this software built or this customization to it's implemented and up and running, whatever it is, if they're a hospital and it's patient comes in till they go home, the, all, all the processes cross horizontally across many different functional areas and departments. And so you need a representative of each of those areas to sit with you and map that out. And once you can get it visi- visually up on the board, then everyone can start to see where all of the issues are. And, and I have never in all the years that I've done this, done a mapping with a cross-functional team where they weren't totally shocked, A, by um, how extensive the process was, that they just had no idea it was was so big and why does it take so many steps and it shouldn't be this complicated, to being shocked at what other departments people were doing. Um, Sometimes they would say, you know, why are you doing all of that documentation? Because we do it over here anyway. And they just didn't know. So all of that kind of stuff just opens up the ability to make it a much more streamlined uh, process for the people working in it. But you have to have, the people who do the work uh, map that with you because I, I, 
I've said to a lot of management teams and leadership teams, you know, no disrespect, uh, but you don't know how the process works. And they say, yes, I do. I used to do that job. And I say, well, unless you're doing it today, you don't have a clue because they'll do whatever they have to do to get the job done. And you don't know what that is because you're not doing the job. And so once you get the frontline people there, they can, they can tell you what, what really goes down. And then the second thing to do is to implement a process owner for that. Once you have it mapped and improved and streamlined, um, which is different than a functional uh, department head or a manager of an area or um, of a silo, the process owner is the owner of the horizontal process who decides this is how, you know, this is going to be executed. And it doesn't matter who reports to who uh, in, in what department they have to execute the process the way that they've all designed it to. So it's most efficient and it's repeatable and, and they can, you know, do it that way. And is there a general rule of thumb for what kind of person should become the process owner in a situation like that? Uh, no, it doesn't have to be a higher level manager, director, any of that. It's someone who knows the process well and is able to, and has been kind of trained in improvement. The only thing that the, the process owner does is ensures that the process is done correctly. So there could be safety reasons for that. There could be just uh, efficiency reasons for that. Um, but, you know, generally it's just their job is to make sure. And then if someone comes up with a new way and says, you know, if we did these things this way, it would be even better. They bring it to the process owner, the process owner and the team look at it and then they'll implement it together. This way you don't have multiple people doing things differently in all different areas who are all part of the same process. Which is very important, right? That leads us to some of the other questions that I was excited to ask you about. This is a perfect segue. Um, we're talking right now segue. about processes to write processes, process for process, which is one of my favorite processes. And of course, you and I both know that there's many ways to skin the cat when it comes to creating processes. Um, we're talking about one right now with regards to building cross-functional teams to map out uh, processes. But um, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see uh, organizations, specifically service businesses, making when they're trying to build out their processes that are holding them back from being successful? Uh, number one, they, they don't physically map it out. They, um, they go by what's in their head. And so the, the, that's the, and that's the biggest issue with service industry and knowledge is the same. Uh, it's a lot easier for manufacturers to do this stuff because what they can see the process right in front of them. It's the assembly line. It's whatever it is. It's right there. And so when something goes wrong, everybody standing around can see the issue and they're all like, Oh, there's a problem. We can fix it in knowledge and service industries. You can't see it. You can't see the process. It's in your heads and in your computers. And so we make assumptions that we know and everybody does it. And everyone's like, oh, I know the process. I know the process. You don't unless you map it out with the people who actually do the work. Um, so that would be number one. Uh, a lot of people just say, oh, no, I, I know where it is. And they don't take the time to actually to, to map it out, to find the real root causes. Um, that ends up leading to a lot of band-aids being done which, you know, people are like, oh, didn't we fix this two years ago? Why is this still a thing? Why does this keep coming back? Why is this still a problem? And that's generally because we assumed we knew what the root cause of an issue was. We didn't bother to map it out and we put a Band-Aid in place and then it rears its ugly head again uh, six months later because we didn't really fix the issue. Uh, so that would be one of the biggest ones um, that service um, and knowledge industries make. Uh, another would be, be the second biggest one. It's kind of along the same lines, but a, a lot of uh, knowledge and service industries often say, um, well, process improvement is not for us. We're not manufacturing. Hmm. So they very quickly jump to what they've heard, whether it be Lean Six Sigma 
you know, words or language or that kind of stuff that they're like, oh, well, that's manufacturing, that's Toyota, that doesn't apply to us. Um, and so that's a, a huge mistake to think that all it, because performance excellence and all the process improvement, it, it's an entire science in and of itself. And it's been documented for decades and it keeps getting better and better and better. And so it totally applies to knowledge and service. It's just that you can't see the process. So um, it's, it's to assume that they know it and that they can just fix it without, you know, mapping it out and that, and that the improvement methodologies don't apply to them. That'd probably be the two biggest mistakes. Yeah, and I see this a lot too in the creative space where um, people reject the idea that there even is a process behind what they do um, under the veil of it being too creative. But the reality is there's always going to be some kind of, even if what you do to come up with like, like maybe you're going to go smoke a joint and go for a run in in Central Park and that's how you're going to come up with this amazing ad campaign. That's cool. But before you did that, you had to go to a briefing with the client and then you had to, you know, discover a few things about them. And there's like a certain amount of information that you needed. And then after you have the idea, there's a set of steps that it's going to go through. So yeah, maybe there's a couple of black boxes along there, but to say that there's no process is, is just not true. Um, So, you know, I think there's a point here about just embracing the reality that, there is a process involved in what you're doing, even if a lot of it is um, bespoke for a new client, even if a lot of it is, you know, up to the creative process, um, you know, as weird as that might look for you, there's still a set of steps that need to be accomplished, or at least a set of outcomes that need to be met in order to get something for the client that they've paid you for. And the more we can embrace that, then the more we can start to understand where we can actually make that more efficient. Which leads me to my next question, Jennifer, which is, why is it so important for a service business to be efficient in the first place? And uh, sometimes this flies over people's heads, but there's this, this is, I think, important to discuss. Like, there's a pretty significant impact to being good at this stuff if you run a service business. Uh, well, yeah, and it's funny because you're just bringing me back to, and number one, the reason why it's important is because it's all about time. And we, we want to be as efficient with our time as, as we can be. If we are spending a lot of time being inefficient and unproductive and we're wasting time and money, which we don't often see that we're doing, um, it, it gets in the way of our ability. So you, you can't be profitable unless you can be productive. You can't be productive unless you can prioritize the work that you need to do. And you can't prioritize the work you need to do unless you know your purpose and what it is you're trying to accomplish for your customers so, uh, and, and create that value for them. And so it's all about being as efficient with your time as possible. And I love your example about smoking the joint and going running in Central Park because that is one, two steps within probably a 15-step process that that person follows every single time. Maybe they don't always smoke a joint and go running in Central Park, but they, they still, as you said, got the requirements and then they had to do this and then they decided to do that. And then once they had their ideas, they had to document them so they don't forget them. And then they had to communicate those to the client. There's they just don't see it as a process. Although a lot of people do talk about their own creative process and how you can't streamline that. And over the years I've had, and knowledge is the same, whether it's government or law firms or whatever they're, they all, you know, it's knowledge processes. You can't, you can't map that. You can't make that efficient. And you totally, you totally can because there is a underlying process that occurs every single time. And the more streamlined you can actually make that creative process, the more time you have for the creative because you're not wasting that time redoing rework or duplication or all these things that you're not seeing because you haven't nailed that down. So you're absolutely right. There, there was, a, there is a lot of pushback that says, well, what I, you know, 
whether it's a, a film company or a, and well, you know, even if you use the film company, they say, well, everything, every film's different, different. You can't map that. Um, you know, every, if we're making toys or we're, we're making, um, new Tim Hortons donuts. I saw that they came out with three new types of donuts. So if you're doing a marketing campaign, they're all different, right? Everything's different. Right. There's no, we need, I can't streamline that. Well, you have to, because if you don't, you can waste a lot of your time doing a lot of the other things that are not nearly as important as being creative. Um, so yeah, it's always there. It, it's kind of, I used to say to the people at the hospital way, way back when we were going to map the ER and they said, that's impossible. And I said, well, what do you mean it's impossible? And they said, well, there's a thousand different things that come in here every day. Someone could be having a baby or they're having a heart attack or they, you know, need stitches or they broke their leg. But every single person that comes in follows the same process. There's a triage, there's an assessment, there's a diagnosis, there's treatment. It's all the same. So when, if you can get that underlying process, it frees up your time to be creative. Yeah. And, and there's definitely an 80-20 there, right? Even if you can only map 20% of it, that's still going to get you probably 80% more efficient because, you know, you're able to get the big things and identify the big opportunities and the nuance will always be the nuance, but, you know, to, yeah. to your point. And one thing that I want to add to this, um, and I think it's just a concept that flies over a lot of people's heads. And this is why it's so really important if you run a service business, because what's unique about a service business is when you sell revenue, it doesn't belong to you yet. And then you have to spend money to earn that revenue. That's what makes it so different than a product company, because a product has a fixed cost, right? You sell a widget, you've already paid for that widget, it's in your inventory, you send it to the client, job done. When you sell the revenue, you earn the revenue. But what's unique about the service business is you have to earn your revenue and you do that by spending time to get the outcome to the clients. And that time costs you enormous amounts of money. It's probably the largest item on your PNL every single month. So that's why it's so key to manage that because without managing that, you end up in these situations. And I'm sure everyone that's listening has been in this situation where you're busy, busy, busy. You feel like a chicken with your head cut off. You get to the end of the month. And you're like, why don't I have any money in my bank account? And this is why. Yeah, because you spent all of your time earning revenue when you should have spent a lot less time earning that same amount of revenue. Um, yeah, the so whole the whole game is to reduce the time between paying and getting paid. Because you got totally. to yeah. investment, and you want to you want to reduce that absolutely. So there's one other thing that I want to know about from your experience. Um, and this is, I just love having these conversations. I wish these episodes could be two hours sometimes because I feel like you and I could just nerd out forever on this, but we do yeah. eventually have to wrap things up. So the last thing that I want to know is, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I hear from people is I've gone and I've documented this process, um, but people stop using it or people didn't use it in the first place. And, you know, I just can't get the team to buy into this process or it goes out of date really quickly and then everybody goes off process. So how do you make sure that these processes actually get installed in the organization, stay up to date and get implemented on an ongoing basis? Because I know change management is a big part of what you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, three big things. First of all, um, I'm not a fan of mapping all processes and all businesses. That is also a waste of time. If you don't need to improve it, if it's not an issue, if it's not a critical thing that we need to look at right now, then mapping all of your processes just for the sake of mapping it is also inefficient and not productive. So it needs to be, if you need to make sure that you're working on a process that's critical and it needs improvement right now, um, because then it would be top of mind for people, especially for those that work in the process. Second, uh, you need to involve the people who do the work. 
So when people are um, given the autonomy to say how they think the work should be done in the most efficient and productive way for the customer, not for them, um, but for them, for the customer, then they'll own it because they helped create it. So when you give something to someone and say, here, do this, nobody likes being told what to do. But if you can involve them and they design it, then they will own it. And you have a much higher chance of them following that process. Um, if you can have a process owner put in place as well, that also helps. And then um, implementing some daily management around the process until it just becomes the new way that we do business. So um, not a tracking of are you doing your process or the job the right way, but making sure that the improvements that we put in place are getting the results that we thought they would. All right. So hot principles on that is make sure it's an important process. It's critical. Get the team involved and then actually measure afterwards. Measure the results. Take care of it afterwards. Don't just set it. Forget it. Um, yeah. Make sure that uh, whatever over because I think a lot of what happens in that post measurement is that we realize all of the functional oversights that we just couldn't account for in the mapping process that, you know, it makes contact with the real world. It's like a software product, right? We always say your minimum viable product never survives first contact with the market. And that's because all the nuance, right? You figure it out. Um, so a lot of that stuff is going to happen when you release a new process. And I think it's important for people to understand that like the work isn't done when you just finish designing the process. Actually, the work kind of begins because now you have to harden it. And that takes some cycles of iteration. Yep. Yeah. And I, I like daily management, which is not an extensive overbearing performance management type thing, but it's, da it's a daily check-in and it's visual. So every, you know, how'd it go today? Did it work? What got in, in the way of it not working? Okay, that's the thing. How, you know, what was the impact? Great. Tomorrow, try it again, try it again. So that at least we're, we're managing the process and we're saying what is not working so we can fix it. We're not performance managing the people in it because it's not about them. It's about the process. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love that. I love taking the, the focus off the person and putting it on the process. It, it helps everybody be a little more objective and, and avoid hurting anybody's feelings. Yeah. Which of course is important. <laughs> Um, all right. So, I mean, like I said, I wish that we could just keep chatting, but I know we both have uh, busy schedules to get back to. So with all of this, um, for those that are listening at home, they want to follow what you're doing at Visualize and follow more of the content that you're creating. Where can they find you on the World Wide Web? On the World Wide Web. They can, uh, they can Google me. They can Google uh, Visualize Management Consulting. I, I have a website. Uh, Visualize is spelled a little bit differently. It's uh, V-I-S-U-A-L-I-I-Z. Uh, so that's a little bit different, but um, I'm also on LinkedIn under Jennifer Kickert and uh, my email is jen at visualize.ca. Awesome. So for those of you that are listening at home, you will not have to go to Google because all of this will be in the show notes. So just scroll on down, you know where to find it and uh, reach out to Jen and reach to us and let us know what you learned on this episode. What was your biggest insight? Leave us a comment wherever you're listening to this and let us know uh, what kind of value you got from the show. And with all of that, Jen, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to be here on the podcast. And who knows, maybe there'll be a second edition of this where we'll be live in person, maybe, maybe at a coffee shop down the street. Who knows? Yeah. We just found out we live That'd not too far from each other. <laughs> I was just at Physio, like two doors down from your house. So it's a small town. That's awesome. But uh, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really great having you here. Thanks for having me.
Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast, I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this, and it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
Al Pante.